So good morning, everyone, and um, what an exciting time to just listen to the book of James read to us this morning, chapter 2. A word was used a lot in there. You heard it over and over again. The word was faith. We all have faith of some kind. Now, you may or may not consider yourself a person of faith, but the truth is we all exercise faith. You exercised faith this morning when you got up and you flipped the light switch on. You had faith in the electrician who wired those things together. If you got on an airplane recently, you exercised great faith by trusting that a, a pilot was going to be skilled enough to handle whatever happened in the air and that a technician or a mechanic had, had done the servicing necessary for that plane. There, it's a step of faith. Uh, you, you exercise faith when you go to the doctor, right? And as the doctor gives his or her diagnosis of the issue and then prescribes a certain procedure to follow to correct that and to heal your body, what do you do? You have faith in your doctor. And so you take that medication, not really understanding everything that's going to do. We, we don't have to understand everything to have faith. We are all somewhat people of faith. But in the Christian life, faith is a key doctrine. It's a very important part. It's one thing for us to have faith in an airline pilot. It's another thing to think about having faith in regard to eternity and what happens to our soul when we finally breathe our last breath on this earth and exit our bodies and we move to heaven or we hope to move to heaven. Well, faith is the key. Faith is important. Paul says about faith that the sinner is saved by grace through faith. So Paul talks about a saving kind of faith. The author of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then Paul adds to the Romans that whatever we do apart from faith is sin. So we're talking about a very, very important subject when we address the subject matter of faith. James is a good person to listen to when we think about faith. James, whom we believe is the brother of Jesus, now adds to this discussion of faith, and he adds to that another component, and that is our works or our deeds. There's always been some tension there among theologians. There's always been some kind of tension in the discussion between faith and works and how those two are related. Is faith alone enough, or do we have to add works? Do we have to live well enough to make it to heaven one day? Or is it enough just to believe? Can we believe whatever we want to and then live however we want to? That seems to be the discussion and the controversy around this idea of faith and works. Now, while to some this may seem like a cloudy matter, to me, the scripture is very clear on this issue. And James is one of the places that we can go to to find an answer about some very important questions. Questions like, what kind of faith really saves a person? Questions like, is it necessary to live a good life in order to be saved? Questions like, how can we know if we're exercising true saving faith? James will help us with that, and he will help us to understand faith. Now, if I'm reading James right, and we'll read through it in a few moments, what I see about James is that James tells us that there's two kinds of faith. There's living faith, and there's dead faith. Faith that is alive and faith that is dead. What's the difference? Well, he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about what makes faith living and what makes faith alive. 
And we need to make that decision. You need to make that decision. Because if we just want to bring it, bring it down to a personal level, here's the real question for today. Because you're watching this, I'm concerned, or I believe you're concerned about the, your, your faith and the kind of faith you have. Here's the real question that you need to think about. Is your faith enough? So let's just forget the theological debate. Let's, let's get out of the discussion mode and just think about you and think about me. Do, is my faith strong enough? Am I exercising the kind of faith that's marked by a deep belief and assurance and a dependency on grace? Or am I just going through some kind of religious motion and activity so that I might feel better about my chances to get to heaven one day? I remember I used to talk to people a long time, uh, many times. So I've talked to many people about, about their spiritual lives. And often people want to talk about what's next and want to talk about heaven and going to heaven. And so I often ask them this question. So if you were to die today and, and if you were to stand before God and he should say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your response be? It's amazing. You should ask people that question. Maybe you're thinking about that question right now. Maybe I should just ask you. Well, the truth is, I got all kinds of answers. But many of those answers were disturbing because many times people would say, well, I hope I'm going to be good enough. I hope I lived my life well enough. I hope I went to church enough. I hope I put enough in the offering plate. I, I hope I served on the board long enough. Or I hope I was a moral person. Or I, I hope that God is going to somehow weigh the balances and say that, okay, you had more good deeds than bad deeds. The problem is, I don't think that's what James is teaching us about faith. However, he also comes short of divorcing faith from our good deeds. So before I go any further in that thought, let's just dive in. Let's look at the second chapter of James. We're going to begin reading with verse number 14. And let's see what James says about living faith and about dead faith. And then we'll come back at the end, wrap it all up and decide, is your faith enough? So here's what we do. We start with a simple principle. James chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what James writes. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, now note that word, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? So immediately James states the principle very simply. He says, we need to understand that some people claim to have faith, and yet when the that faith is more closely examined, James puts a big question mark behind it and says, now, wait a minute, is that kind of faith sufficient to save him? Well, well, Pastor Eddie, I thought that the Bible just says that we have faith. We just believe what well, we do. But listen carefully. It matters who our faith is placed in. It matters upon what we are trusting, upon whom we are trusting. And so James makes the point, and in case we miss the point, he says, can this kind of faith save you? In the Greek, word, in the, Greek the original language here, you state a question. The way you state a question often implies the expected answer. And the way James words this question, the implied answer is no. And so we draw our first conclusion. The principle is this. Faith without works is useless and cannot save. 
it is dead. So James awakens us to the fact that not all faith is living faith. Not all faith is saving faith. In fact, some faith is dead. Now, the second thing we're going to see from James is an illustration. We're going to look now, verse 15 to 17. I hope you're following along in your Bible or maybe on your phone or maybe on the computer screen. But here's what he says. He says, if a brother, clear illustration, if a brother or sister, now remember he's talking here about Christians, right? He's not talking about siblings here. He's talking about spiritual siblings, if you will. If a brother or a sister, if a Christian, he says, if a, if a religious person is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So James gives us an illustration here that's very, very important. He gives us the illustration of a a person who comes into an assembly uh, of believers, and and he says to them, uh, I have no food. I have no clothes. Now, the idea here is not someone who just uh, doesn't have enough for a full course meal or a feast. It's not the idea that, hey, the cupboard's running bare. It's like, I have no food. It's a desperate situation. I have no food. I, I, I need something. I, I, I need some clothing. And James says, here's a typical response. He says, if that happens and one of you brothers, one of you church folks, one of you Christians says to him, Well, go in peace and be warm and well-fed. Now, hold on a minute. Before we get off of that, please understand, that is not a, a cold statement. It's not really even a bad statement. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe that is a very typical and very good statement for them to make. It's a blessing, if you will. It's, it's, it's their way of putting a blessing, sharing a blessing on the people. Kind of like what we do on Sunday sometimes, right? When we bless the people, when we give a blessing, when we, when we share scripture. And that's what's happening. Said so if, if someone says, go in peace, if they give the blessing, say, oh, brother, here's maybe, maybe we put it this way. I, I don't want to add words. And yet the thought might be, okay, brother, I'll pray for you. Uh, have you ever heard that when you're in need? Okay, I'll pray for you. And then he says, but if they don't meet the needs of the body, what good is the blessing? How can we put some feet to those prayers? I don't think he's saying that prayers are bad or that blessings are bad. It's not bad for us to pray for one another, but there also comes a time when our faith drives us into action. He says, if not, what good is it? And he said, in the same way, faith without works all by itself is dead. So he's talking about this dead faith. And now he's illustrated. Now he's going to make an argument. Look at verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 19, and the argument that he makes. He says, but someone will say. Now here's what he's doing, just so you follow along as we read it. He's actually introducing a fictional character. He's actually putting someone else into a conversation. He's having this fictional conversation between he and another person. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. And then James, and he says, and I will show you faith by my works. Look at the next verse. Very important. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. 
So now James is going to make an argument. He says, this strong example I just gave you, I know it's tough, it's hard to swallow, because people have come into our church and your church, and people have come in with, with needs, and, and unfortunately we said, I'll pray for you, we'll bless you. Sometimes we act, sometimes we don't. Strong example. So now he's going to make a defense. <clears throat> and he's going to say, it's important that you understand that yes, indeed, some do come, and some do say, you have works, I have works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he gives the example, another example of demons and says, even the demons believe and tremble. The point I believe he's trying to make is very, very important. He's trying to tell us that faith is a real faith, living faith. He's beginning to make the contrast now. Living faith is evidenced by action. Living faith draws us into action. Remember what we saw last week in chapter one? We saw that it's important that James made clear that we're not just doers of the word, hearers of the word, but we're doers also. It's not enough to just collect information, but as a matter of fact, real faith brings us to the place that what we know impacts our lives and what we know drives us to certain actions. What we know controls our works. And so James is going to make a big argument here and he's going to say, you need to understand that living faith doesn't just talk. Living faith doesn't just think. Living faith acts. It's just natural to act in what we believe. And then the illustration that he gives is interesting, right? He says, think about demons. The demons believe there's God there's, the demons believe there's one Lord. And by the way, don't miss that. I'll tell you why that's important. It's important because you remember that's the basic tenet of the Jewish faith. That's the basic tenet of their faith based on Deuteronomy, the Shema. The Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. You will love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, even the devils believe that. Even the devils can quote your liturgy. Even the devils can say what you believe. They believe there's one God, he said. But here's what's different. He said, because they believe, their reaction is to shudder. They know. They, they know that they are done. They know they're toast. They know they're finished. They know they are defeated. And because they believe God, because they know that there is God, they tremble before him. Now, don't, just, don't, don't get off on a side note on that and don't, don't take that away from our main point. The point is their belief, what they know, what they understand drives their behavior. That's where James is going with this. Who we are in Christ, what we know in Christ, our standing in Christ, our faith drives us, drives us in our actions and then James comes to the proof. He says, now let's talk about proof. Verses 20 through 25. Here's what he says. He says, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, that is with Abraham's, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. 
You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the message, messengers and sending them out by a different route? Now, a couple of things happen are, are going on here. James is referring back to the Old Testament period and referring back to two things that happened and that, that these people, his readers, would have been very much and very well aware of. Two stories. First one was about Abraham. Abraham uh, believed God. We're told all early on when we're introduced to Abraham, early in his life, we're told that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, because of his faith, because he believed God, God made him righteous. Later on, we're told that Abraham is going through life. He goes through all experiences. And one of those experiences was Abraham is told by God to take his only son, Isaac, the one by, what, by the way, in whom all of the blessed promise comes. He says, take Isaac. I'm going to take you, have you execute him. I'm going to have you offer him as a sacrifice. And so we're told that Abraham took his servant and took Isaac and made a journey up to Mount Moriah. And there on Mount Moriah, he took Isaac up alone and, and he was prepared. Isaac was a young man at this case, at this time. And he prepared an altar and laid Isaac on the altar and was prepared to sacrifice him. And James is saying, now that's faith. That, that's faith. Think about that. That's faith that Abraham would believe God so strongly that he would offer his own son the scripture tells us, by the way, just to finish the story, that as Abraham raised the knife to slay Isaac, he was stopped. The angel of the Lord stopped him and God provided another sacrifice. And, and by the way, a beautiful picture of God's provision of a sacrifice for us, a sacrifice for our sins. When we should have died, there was a ram, there was a sacrifice, the Lamb of God. I don't have time to get into all that. Point being this, James is saying, now that's evidence of faith. That's evidence of faith. Abraham believed God, and as a result, he obeyed God and did as God said. Now, some would argue that Abraham's offering of Isaac proved his righteousness, no, or accomplished his righteousness. No, it proved what was happening in his life. Paul would disagree some in his writings, or it sounds like he would disagree. It sounds like they're at odds, but in reality, Paul and, Abraham and James are saying the same thing from two perspectives. Now, let me just say, I don't have time to go into that, but there is a great, a great video on our More series about that this week. Go to the More series. Go to our page on our website. Find more. Go to there. Chip does a really good job of talking about the relationship and the teaching between Paul and, and James on this matter, and, and that'll really help you. But there's a second illustration, and that is of Rahab, the harlot. He says the same thing. You remember the story? Maybe you don't. Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute who lived on the walls of, Jer uh, of Jericho. And, and when, when Joshua sent spies into Jericho to spy out the land before they came against it, the spies were hidden by Rahab. She put her life on the line, if you will. But she decided that she would believe their story. They, she would believe their God. She feared their God enough that she would risk her life to hide them in hopes and in trust that they would remember and that their God would spare him. James says, don't you see that her, her, her works justified, her works were seen or were evidence of her faith. Oh, it's a very important. 
that we understand what he's saying. And that is, he's telling us so clearly a very clear point. Now, here's the point, verse 26. He says, I'm sorry, no, verse 26, chapter 2, he says, faith without works is dead. There's got to be a connect point. There's got to be a connection between the two. You have to understand that, yes, faith believes God. Yes, faith is important. Yes, we are saved by faith. But because we are saved, works do follow. Now, that tells me that what we said last week about spiritual growth and development is important. What we said about spiritual maturity, what, what we said about uh, understanding and knowing truth and then applying truth, and, and as a result of that, we have fruit in our life. What's fruit? Fruit is evidence of life. If you have a fruit tree in your backyard, guess what? When you see the blossoms, you, you see life. When you, when you see the fruit begin to grow, you know it's a sign of life. Well, listen carefully. What we said last week needs to be brought over to this week and understand that the evidence of faith in our life is fruit. The evidence of faith in our life is seen. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope because evidence is seen, not only in what we know, but what we do and how it impacts our life. So I've kind of summed it up this way to maybe kind of help us to see, is our faith enough? A couple of thoughts. One, I think all of these come from this text. One, everyone has faith but you have to decide what kind of faith you have. You, you are exercising faith, whether it's by getting on a plane, whether it's going to a doctor, or whether it's trusting in Jesus as your Savior. You are exercising faith. Everyone has faith, but what kind of faith do you have? Secondly, what kind of, what, what kind of faith you have determines what you do. What kind of faith you have does indeed determine what you do in life. You, you, the natural response, remember what he said about the demons? Natural response, they believe God and so it affects their lives. They tremble. For us, we believe God, we trust God. As a result, we serve him, we honor him, we bring glory to him. And then what you do is a result of what Christ has done in your life. Don't miss that part. Yes, it's important to understand that what kind of faith you have determines what you do, but also what you do is the result of what Christ has done in you. Tim Keller did it, put it very well. Tim Keller talked about the difference in religion and gospel living or Christ-centered living in his new publication, Gospel and Life Study. And, and here's what he said that I, I'm just going to really look at a part of it or read a part of it. I think it's, it's pretty good. He's comparing religion with real faith. He's comparing really dead faith and living faith, as we've been calling it. He's talking about the difference in religious activity and in fruitful living from faith. And here's what he says. He says, when it comes to acceptance, that is the need to be accepted before God, religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. True faith, living faith says, I'm accepted, accepted therefore I obey. You see the difference? We don't obey in order to be accepted. We obey 
because I am accepted. In the area of motivation, what motivates our activity? What motivates your service? What motivates you to serve in kids' church on Sunday? What motivates you to serve in the band and on the worship team? What motivates you to to feed the hungry and to take care of the poor? What motivates us? uh, uh, Keller says, Religion, the motivation is based on fear and insecurity. In other words, we serve out of fear. We serve out of insecurity. We serve hoping that we can make it to heaven one day. But he says gospel serving, Christ-centered living, living faith, we're motivated by joy, by a grateful joy. We're motivated by understanding what Jesus Christ is, is to us, who he is and what he's done in our lives. We are motivated by his glory and his grandeur and the joy that he brings into our life, not out of dutiful, monotonous response. Third, he says, in obedience, in regard to obedience, why do we obey God? Religion, he says, I obey God in order to get things from God. But in living faith, in true gospel living, I obey God to get God. To delight in Him and to resemble Him. Not to get from God, but to get God. Ah, that is so important. Do you see the difference? Do you understand what he's saying? It makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in our life. It evidences the difference between dead faith and living faith. My response, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. My motivation for serving and giving glory to God is based on thankful joy. And I obey God to delight in Him and to get Him. As Paul would say to the Philippians, that I would know Him and the power of His resurrection Not that I would earn grace, not that I would earn love, not that I would earn eternal life. All of that is freely given by God. That's grace. And we receive it through faith, not works. We can never work to be good enough. You'll never work enough to tilt the scales one day before God. But you can receive His gift of eternal life by faith. And when you do, It'll change the way you act. If there's no change in your behavior, it could be that your faith is dead. So here's what I want to give you as a takeaway today, and I think you can, it'll give you plenty to chew on. Work today from God's acceptance, not for it. Work is important. Serving is important. The God whom we love has called us to serve Him. We need to work. But we need to work from God's acceptance, not for it. If you're still working for it, my friends, you're fighting an endless battle that will only end in defeat. The only way that you can have living faith is through a living Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you today to just lay down your effort. Lay down your sword Lay lay down your plowshare. (laughs) Lay down everything. Lay down your life. And say, Lord Jesus, I just want to give it all to you. Put your faith in him and his finished work on the cross. Not on how good you can live. Not on how moral you can become. Not how many times you come to church or how much you put in the offering plate. Put your trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And understand 
that he died as your substitute. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. And God wants to extend you a free gift of life. If you'll by faith say, I believe, I trust, and I surrender. And when you do, <laughs> your life will be changed. And you'll know living faith. And I'm telling you right now, get ready because that living faith is going to impact your life in every area of your work and deeds. Hey, you can do that this morning. Just invite Jesus into your life through prayer. We'll be glad to help you with that. Someone is standing ready right now, live, waiting to hear from you. All you have to do is click on that screen. Go to our website. If you're on Facebook, well, it'll be there too. If somebody's waiting... If you'll just call and say, hey, I need help. Can you tell me more about this? Can you explain to me a little bit more? How can, I, how can I receive this gift from God? Somebody's there waiting for you. Or maybe you do follow it. Maybe you do understand it. And maybe you just would pray and invite Jesus to take control and take charge and, and give you living faith. And, and, and you confess that you're tired of this dead faith you've been walking in called religion. And you're ready to move into a relationship with him. Then there's also a place you can just wave at us, lift your hand and say, hey, yeah, I just want you to know today that I'm giving my heart and life to Jesus. That'll help you. And it'll also be a blessing to us as we can rejoice with you. We'd love for you then to, to just assimilate right in, to just come in and be a part of this online campus so that you can grow and you can develop. And then the, the faith that you have experienced today will become faithful works that are evidence of what happened today. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you, O oh God, for saving our souls. And thank you, Father, for impacting our lives with living faith that drives us to serve you and to serve others, that drives us to love God and to love people. And as a result, not to just talk about it, not even to just pray, not even to just bless, but to act as you move us and as you lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.